Hello, everyone. I'm Lee Green, and welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders in all walks of life. So we'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode six of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today we've got an insightful and fun interview for you, full of laughs with my friend Katie Johnson, the co-founder and CEO of Carbon 38. Carbon 38 is a luxury activewear brand and online retailer featuring an amazing curated selection of top emerging and established activewear designers. Katie shares her story about how she went from working as a professional Broadway dancer to building Carbon 38 into a multi-million dollar company that sells activewear from over 250 brands and employs nearly 100 people. She talks about how she learned to bring out her inner alpha while working as a fitness instructor, how moments of crying in the shower can lead to pushing through boundaries she never thought she could, and how a vision-setting workshop in L.A. helped her create her five-year vision for the future, which, by the way, has already begun to unfold. I love that Katie talks about visualization and setting intentions for her future because I truly believe we have the power to create our own realities. I've done it myself several times, and Katie is a perfect example of this as well. So sit back, relax, get ready to feel inspired, and enjoy this episode. So I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. You know, we met at Start Engine years ago. Like, what year was that? I don't know. I feel like I've blocked that portion of my life out of my memory. But <laughs> I think it was like 2012, 2013. Yeah, that would make sense. I don't know. I was going back and forth on those years, too. I'm not sure which. Because we started Start Engine October 2012. I know that for a fact. And then we like launched our beta, which is totally different than what the company is today, January 19th, 2013. And that was a class we were in. But were you the class after me? So we weren't in any class. I oh. was literally pitching them, oh. my company. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, you're a female founder in the fashion space. You should talk to Katie. <laughs> you know, my you. memory is a little different, though, because I remember I was at a party at Laurel and Wolf's headquarters. And it was like badass female, like cocktail hour or something like that. And Kelsey Dory from Vow to Be Chic yeah. was like, oh my gosh, we were just looking at headshots of beautiful models and one looked like you and she's actually a founder and she's right over there. And then I, <laughs> I saw you. I'm like, first of all, I am not that cute, but thank you very much. <laughs> Shut up. You're hilarious. <laughs> this woman is glorious. And then I think I went up to you and I was like, I'm told I look like you. <laughs> we're twins. <laughs> I wish. You know what? I wish. But yeah, please, when you squint and I'm about 50 yards away, then maybe. You're hilarious. <laughs> You're hilarious. No, but remember, there was actually a fashion show. Yeah. Um, Koloft. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what I was doing there. But you were there. <laughs> I was All working right. there. I feel like I was a co-host of some sort, but you had a show Amazing. there. Amazing. Either way, we go back yes. very far and we have very lots far. of 
overlap. Yes. Which fast forward to the last time I, or maybe not the last time, but we had drinks at So House. Oh yeah. And I remember we were, you know, commiserating over being a founder. Yeah. And um, you had shared a story from back in the day that about like crying in a shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, I still do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but, a good a good cry in the shower important. is important. It's it healthy. Really, yeah, it just resets. And you walk out and you're like, oh, yes. I'm ready for what's yes. ahead. You're like, wash it away yeah, in the shower. Eat some ice cream and you're on a roll. We're good. We're good. So that's something I want to come back to later. <laughs> and I'm just going to, to the audience right now, I did this before with the founder of Parachute where I like led up to the story. I'm like, oh, remember this time where blah, blah, blah. And then I, I forgot to go back to it. Oh, so we're okay. not going to do that this time. It's no, in my notes. We will remember. So we will, we'll hit that answer of how you, you know, dried those tears in and got to where you are. So let's start from the very beginning. Where are you from? Did you have siblings? I am from Washington, D.C., I have one sister. She is five years older than me. She lives in San Francisco. She did it all right. She's in finance and went to business school and all that kind of stuff. And I am the weird renegade. Of the There's always a black sheep in the family, I, I know. You know, I don't think I'm quite a black sheep. I'm like sort of a light gray. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm I definitely, you know, given my mother and father quite a few heart attacks in life. But my sister has always been my ringleader from day one. And my first entrepreneurial experience was when I was three or four, we lived in this neighborhood called Kenwood right outside of DC. And every tree in the first, uh, the front three feet of your property has to be, well, it's I think more out of tradition than actual code, uh, Yoshino cherry. So during cherry blossom time, there are 220 some odd homes in our neighborhood. It just turns into this like white floral fairyland. It's unbelievable. Oh and I think it's a week before or a week after the tidal basin. So it's, you know, it doesn't have any competition. <laughs> and so literally tour buses would come through with tourists to see our neighborhood. And we, you know, we're the youngest family, I think, in the neighborhood at the time. And, you know, my sister, my brilliant sister had the idea. She's like, you know what? I think there's a money-making opportunity here. And so we started to sell lemonade. We would sell 25 cents for a cup of lemonade, 50 cents for a brownie. M was the CEO. I was the chief marketing officer. We had these, these cut-out cherry trees. How old <laughs> were you know. when you guys were doing like, this? I started at three. It was, a, it was a true tradition through like almost middle school. Like it was starting to get a little embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> But I, we had these like cut out cherry trees with like a face and tissue paper blossoms that I would stand on the street corner on a chair because it was too big to wear it with like suspenders and like advertise the, the, the lemonade. And then as I got older and taller, I would walk the streets with the cherry tree on me and it would, you know, drum up business to the point where even the good humor man would park in front of our house because we generated so much foot traffic. And, and then we found that people wanted to take a picture on the cherry tree. So then we charged 50 cents a picture nice. to put your face through the cherry tree. Then Em was like, we got to divert diversify product, diversity. Right. Here we go. So we bought up every strange knickknack, comb, eraser, cherry blossom theme, whatever on Oriental Trading Company. We would stockpile brownies. My poor mother would be baking brownies like all winter, throwing them in the freezer. We had like extra freezers we had to get just to store this. Whoa. Every time we went to the grocery store, we'd buy like lemonade concentrate. We had a full cottage industry. Wow. And would walk away with like between four and a thousand dollars a week for like each of us for these little babies. <laughs> 
little That's babies. So funny. And that was my first taste of like running my own business. And like brilliant. It taught us how to, it taught me how to add to make change, you know, what it meant to kind of like have inventory and how your sell-through rate and oh <laughs> advertising and customer acquisition costs, which was minimal because those cherry blossom trees were somehow in our basement <laughs> sitting around. I don't know what my parents were doing with those, but whatever. Yeah. Emily's been my, she's been my agent, my ringleader. She's a special woman who's still my muse today. She's the muse for Carbon 38. And your parents, were they in business? Is that how they no. know? My, my, well, my mom, it's, my mom was fashion director of Bloomingdale's in the 80s, but she started out as a model and an artist. And my dad was I an I knew Olympian. you had model in your blood, well, by the way. I mean, seriously, <laughs> clearly. I see it in my height, but that's about it. But my dad was, uh, he's Olympic swimmer and an orthopedic surgeon, and they have a wonderful love story. They've been married this year will be 46 years. Wow. They're madly in love to this day, which is really, it was really cool growing up with that type of stability. And also just those artist spirit in both of them, quite honestly. You know, my dad's more of a scientist than, you know, I think what you'd think of a traditional doctor. He's so curious about, he's an intellectual through and through. And my mother is truly an artist and they just made so much fun for us. It was truly a utopia growing up. And, you know, she always, always brought the magic and brought the fun, my mother. And, you know, my sister and I still are trying to do that today. My sister's doing that with her kids. because She has kids. I don't have kids, but I have a business and it's like how, whether it be- Which is basically a child. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. But you know, work is hard and life is hard. So you might as well have fun while you're at it. So trying to infuse that everywhere. So you were in DC Mm -hmm. and you went to high school there Mm -hmm. and then college years came around. Where did you want to go to college? I didn't want to go to college. I actually, I was a, I was a ballet dancer and I was pretty serious about it. Um, and you know, joined the union when I was 16, was dancing professionally in the DC area, was trained with the Miami city ballet down in Florida. And my whole goal was to be a professional dancer and not going to school is just not an option in my family. And so I, you know, my mom's like applied to one school, at least one, just get an application in. And so I did. And I chose Harvard because I thought I wouldn't get in. But I also chose it because you just have to go a semester. Maybe it's a year. I think it's just a semester. And then you can defer indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So I thought it worse comes to worse. I can go for September through February or September through January and then go back to dancing. And then I'd have that entree for the rest of my life. And two weeks or two weeks after I had been accepted into Harvard, I partially tore a tendon in my foot that essentially kind of through all sorts of cortisone injections, it kind of just precipitated the end of my ballet career because I just couldn't use my feet in the same way. And so it was pretty good timing. And what I'd thought in my head was that I would go for probably the full year, I would rehab, and then I'd go back to dancing after. But then I got to school and like, not that Harvard is like the coolest place to go, let me tell you, but I discovered pizza, beer, and boys. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. This is what I Wait, because you went to an all-girls school. Yeah, I went to an all-girls school. Exactly. And like, <laughs> you're like, boys? I didn't really even go to high school formally. I mean, I did, but I would leave school early starting in eighth grade to pursue dance. And so I never really had a social life other than like my ballet friends who are still my friends to this day. But, you know, I just kind of didn't understand what a true peer group felt like. Yeah. And what boy, you know, yeah, I went to an all-girls school. I went to Christine Blaisley Ford's high school. So we're all about like female empowerment and like we don't need a man kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I arrived and I remember I'm like at the freshman activities fair and um, I see these beautiful California blondes all in a corner. And I'm like, this is Harvard. What are these girls doing? So I like walk over to see and they're like, hey, are you a dancer? And I'm like, yes. Like, how do you know? And they're like, you should join the Harvard Crimson dance team. 
And so they're having auditions. I thought, well, I don't know. They look cute. Like they look like right. the type of people I want to hang out with. And it's <laughs> dance. Like it'll keep me in shape. And so I auditioned and got it onto the Harvard Crimson Dance team. Oh, which right. was – it was just so much fun. Like we would – dance we were like the laker girls like or the the nick city dancers right. like you dance during basketball games at halftime and then we'd have like our ditties during timeout period or the yeah. quarter ends and then we would compete at the nda chick-fil-a <laughs> national dance association <laughs> dance competition in daytona beach florida <laughs> Towsend always won our division and BYU always won the overall competition because you can't beat those Mormons. They know how to dance. Let me tell you, they are some gorgeous dancers. But it was so much fun. It was it was like being part of a sorority, a very dorky, but, you know, fun sorority. But yeah, and then I kept trying to take time off in school to dance. I kept pursuing that. I did the national tour of Cats. Well, between my sophomore and junior year, I thought I was going to leave for a 14-month contract, got injured again. And then heading into my my senior year, my sister was at the business school at the time and she was like, just get a desk job. Like your body keeps breaking down. Just get a job and then your foot will be in the door. So I became a summer analyst at Deutsche Bank in equity derivatives. And that was really cool. Like it's so fun to be on like a, on the capital market side and the trading floor. It's like super performative. I was one of the only women. And, you know, I had a full-time offer and um, they were really supportive. They let me take some time off because I was like, I'm not ready to accept this. So I think they, I deferred my offer two years so I could dance in New York. So I moved to New York, started auditioning, started getting shows like you know, Music Man and so, some other, you know, shows, Broadway shows that were touring in the country or, you know, off-Broadway kind of things. And, you know, the, there's a big delta between being a financial analyst pre-financial crisis and yeah. being a dancer on an equity contract, which is like 800 a week if you're lucky. Wow. Um, so in living in Manhattan. So I became yeah. a fitness instructor and uh, at this studio called Physique 57 it was really cool because it was right before, this was like 2007, like boutique fitness hadn't taken off yet. Yeah, I was just kind of doing it as sort of a, it was just a back burner job. But mm -hmm. then 2008 financial crisis hit and I watched all my peers be let go from their jobs. But my class was packed, packed. And most of these women filling the class were women who had lost their jobs or a lot of them. They were investing in themselves and their health on their path to rebuild. And I encountered the most amazing, inspiring women from, you know, one client of mine had been burned in the Twin Towers and literally was rebuilding her life for the third time. And it was so inspiring. Another woman was battling cancer. Another woman had lost her entire business that she had built and was try starting over. And we would always meet at 5, 6, 7 a.m. at the ballet bar and, you know, work through it. And I watched them work through it and build their community. And it just felt like that team camaraderie that yeah. We all missed when we graduate from college. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to keep those friends. And I watched that form and those bonds form. And also I was 22 years old and I'm teaching these like bosses and I had to out alpha them. So it was a real leadership kind of exercise for me. And Cheryl Sandberg was a fitness instructor. So, you know, oh, there well, might there be parallels. Well, I mean, uh, I'll <laughs> only the best. But yeah, so I, I just fell in love with that customer. And, you know, we refer to her now today at Carbon 38 as this, you know, modern American woman who, you know, the demands on a woman's life are unprecedented, unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Not only do we have to enter the workforce, we have to win against all odds. And there are, there are odds out there. And we are also, you know, women are, are tasked with outperforming their male peels by 30% just to be considered on par. Then on top of it, you know, no matter what you say, no matter how helpful partners are in this in the equation, women are still the primary caretakers. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they're the ones tasked with raising the next generation of leaders because this yeah. next generation coming is the one that's going to save the world. So yeah, 
that's a lot of pressure on the moms. Yeah. And then, you know, because of social media, we all have to look like Giselle or we just all have to look right. like you. Please. <laughs> Giselle, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, Jesus Christ, like, where do we get a break here? Um, and, you know, so I just, I watched the earnest pursuit of success in this, this earnest pursuit of being larger and outperforming expectations in the gym and outside of the gym. And I, you know, kind of avow myself to serving this generation of female leadership that has a huge task ahead of them to reset the scales, but we're not shying away from that. And now, you know, in the 10 years since then, you know, I'm starting to become that woman. And it's just been a really cool trajectory of, of, you know, serving her, admiring her, and now becoming her. And it's that in, outside in, inside out type of approach to our customer that I really have, have worked hard to make the, you know, the founding fabric of this company. Yeah. You said something interesting about being an alpha for other alphas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you even do that? Especially so young, like what are some things that you had to do? I, power pose. Um, no, I, uh, I played the, I remember the owner of the studio pulled me aside and she was like, you know, you're really young, you know, and these women are very sophisticated. I want you to play the 27 year old version of yourself. And so at 22, I had bleached blonde hair and, um, played Catherine, not Katie, Catherine, the 27-year-old version of myself. And it was like an act. I would go in there. I'd drop my voice really low. I would tell jokes. I, you know, I was terrible at names. I could never remember anyone's name. Even if I could remember their name, I couldn't say it out loud. But it was a, it was a personal connection and touch that, you know, touching with authority and correcting and form correcting that I learned how to work a room mm -hmm. and it's, it's a performance. It's the yeah. same thing in a way as dance. When you're dancing, you are an artist, you're channeling this larger human condition. And not to say I was channeling a larger human condition, but I'm, I'm working the room the way you would work an audience. And, um, do you think that's similar to being CEO and running a company? I think being an artist, I think being an artist and being an entrepreneur, are exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. I have an anecdote for that. What is it? Um, so when I was 15, I was cast in this piece called Meadow by a choreographer in DC named Eric Hampton, who it was the last piece that he was choreographing because he was dying of ALS. And we would rehearse in his hospice in our socks in the cafeteria of his hospice in our socks. And he couldn't move. He could only move his eyes. So we used this clear board out with the alphabet written on it and we would watch and track his eyes and he would blink if the letter was right. So we would literally spelled out our choreography and our corrections. And it was this, the rehearsal process was just this, you know, six weeks of just dead silence mm -hmm. where we were racing against time. You could feel the tension was palpable where we're, where these kids, like 15 to 20 years old yeah. kids, learning this piece and understanding the gravity of how we were speaking in other man's words. And he, you know, was a very accomplished dancer and choreographer and he couldn't move and we were moving mm -hmm. for him. We were his movement. And it was the first time I understood what it meant to be an artist because up until that point, I just thought as a ballet dancer, you just had to kick your legs high and land your pirouettes mm -hmm. and, and jump higher. And in that process, I understood what it meant to represent the spirit. And I, I have to say since that, 15-year-old experience, I've been searching for that feeling of being an artist and being a vessel for something larger than mm. yourself. And um, I didn't find it in, in musical theater because you're just being staged. Essentially, you rehearse for two weeks and then you're sent on the road and it kind of loses its soul after the, you know, eight shows a week. You kind of are like, yeah, that was fun. I mean, you want to keep moving. And, you know, being part of the, the creative process of bringing a piece together is so rare. And that's what I live for. And you know, 
between my body breaking down because it continued to do so and the fact that I couldn't find work that really fed my soul. Mm -hmm. I moved out to LA for a whole host of reasons, but I moved out here, continued to pursue. When was uh, that? That that was 2011. Okay. And I moved out here to just to pursue fitness and as a change of scenery and the dancing here is just like not really my, (laughs) I'm just like not that cool. So, and so I just, but I remember kind of feeling that hole in like desperate to find that again. And I also just remember a point where, you know, I had ruptured a disc in my back. I had, um, or I had just overuse teaching. Like, I don't know. I had like, I just had like a, I don't know. It was so many months of physical therapy and I'm not quite sure if I even actually healed in the end, whatever. But, you know, when you're teaching 11, 15, 21 classes a week, your body does break down when I'm already, you know, my body wasn't that whole. But I had had a back injury. I have a labral tear in my hip and I was laying on the floor of my god-awful studio apartment in Beverly Hills, but in like Beverly Hills adjacent. So even though like (laughs) I had like the 90212. zip code like I, i'm telling my mom oh it's amazing i'm like looking around me like jesus christ what is it this is not what i signed up for my god i'm laying on the floor of this like dirty carpeted apartment with ice on my back and i just was like this can't be it i was so yeah. ashamed i was so ashamed because i'd moved out to la i feel like i had just done such a disservice to the upbringing i had to the education i had and i'm this like barely employable fitness instructor who can't even be good at their own job and my body was betraying me and I had applied to business school to try to kind of pull myself out of the rut and I had been rejected and I just was like shit yeah what now what what next and I you know I tell my team this there's this, you know, the night, well, you might be too young for this, but the 1994 film. I think we're the same age, by we the way. We are. Okay, yeah. good, good, great. Oh, God, I don't know. You just, your skin's so poreless. Stop like, jeez. So, 1994 film, Little Princess, where Sarah, I can't believe I'm like saying this out loud. Um, 1994 film, Little Princess, Sarah Crew gets like banished to the attic because uh, her father is supposedly died and Becky, you know, is consoling her and they're so hungry. And Becky's like, why don't you just imagine your feast? And so Mm. she imagines this feast of buttered rolls and like her fur trimmed cape. And, you know, she's feeling so much better about herself and they go to sleep. And the next morning they wake up and their feast is in front of them. And I just had such a clear vision of that film because it was also like the first film I'd seen that I like cried in. I was like Mm. 10 I had such a clear moment where I'm like, okay, just imagine your feast. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And I, you know, had been to like a goal setting workshop where I had set my, you know, five-year plan in front of me and they asked me to visualize walking into work. And at this well, at time, that time, what was your five-year plan? Vision? Exactly. So it? I like visualized walking into work and just to reorient ourselves. I was a ballet dancer, musical theater, Broadway dancer turned fitness instructor. Yeah. So like you'd think maybe I'd be walking onto a stage or a soundstage mm-hmm. or a rehearsal studio or a f- gym. No, for some reason, what flashes in my mind is a very clear office. I'm walking into an office with polished concrete floors, beautiful, you know, west-facing windows, bikes, surfboards, orchids, very clear white lacquer furniture. It was like a, a super clear vision. And I remember thinking like, huh, that's a little weird. Maybe my like signals got crossed. But 
that was cute. Like whatever, it's like voodoo, strange things that I'm doing here in LA with my vision setting workshop. They also asked me like what my house would look like. And I like envisioned this like beautiful Malibu home <laughs> with like a hot man cooking me breakfast. <laughs> that has not happened. It has been but over five years. Way. It is and on that, the way. Yeah. You know what? I think I just like signals cross tenure plan. We're like coming upon that soon. The universe so, gives you it yeah. whenever it wants. Yeah. No, yeah. There's like no 2021, I expect a Malibu home and a hot husband <laughs> cooking me eggs. But it was so cool. Almost five years to the day, we had a rendering of our new office space. Wow. And it's what I had imagined. Really? Yeah. That's and crazy. It kind of like, it kind of hit me that it's all about intention. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, you know, I put my needle on that record and I've been playing that record in the back of my head and it's infiltrated all of my decisions to that date. And yeah. a couple of weeks later, after that visualization workshop, I started thinking about carbon and a couple of friends came to me to, to start, you know, thinking about carbon and so when you had that vision, just to kind of go back, you weren't really yeah. sure what kind of office and business no, it was. It was no just idea. like, no, and how did the like, vision the come through? Were you just like, I, I you just I like came just out like, of nowhere? I mean, please, I got, as soon as I hit the ground in LA, I like went to a crystal healer and a vision setting workshop. Like it honestly is not, I, I know I'm like a full believer. In this. Were you like meditating when you were doing yeah, this? Yeah, oh, they okay. have you, they just are like, it was this woman who walked you through vision setting. Like you, you know sit there and they're like, take a breath. Like you're walking through the doors of where you work. What does it feel like? Um, What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it yeah. taste like? And all those things. And it was so specific. What mm. was just like filling my head. It was kind of cool. Yeah. It was kind of cool. That's crazy. So yeah. you have this workshop and then you're like, okay. And then you said you, how did the whole concept the whole thing come up? I mean, it's been so convoluted over the years. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to get into business school, I need something that feels like business. So I was like, okay, let me just start a business and then I'll have something to write about on my application essay and then maybe someone will accept me. And so I, you know, a couple of friends of mine had called me both, you know, within a week of each other being like, we're feeling entrepreneurial. We want to, you know, one wanted to start a fitness studio and the other wanted to build a, a entertainment fitness brand. And, you know, I was like, oh, it's so interesting. You both call me. Let's all get on the phone. So we all got on the phone and we talked through we just like mold about a bunch of topics. And I just said, look, guys, I've been working in the studio industry for a while. I worked on, very briefly worked on opening up fitness studios in Hong Kong and Singapore. So I'd already kind of been through the math of what overhead is and was like, I really don't want to go in the brick and mortar direction right now unless we have like millions at our disposal. It's not something I'm interested in. And so we just kind of like made a whole list of things and we thought, okay, why not we do this like, you know, content wellness platform. It was as general and stupid as that. So we bought tickets to the Women 2.0 Startup Weekend in San Francisco where you, you know, go from idea to iteration in 54 hours. Stood up, pitched my idea for like, I think we had said it was a Yelp of fitness. And I got up there and I was like, I'm a celebrity trainer. And, you know, I tried to really beef it up. Yeah, exactly. And I just won. I actually just won LA's Hottest Trainer like the the month before. So I actually could surf on that. Um, (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, I'm Ellie's house trainer. And, you know, pitched this idea of Yelp of fitness. And, you know, we tried to assemble a team and like no one wanted, no one wanted to join our team. <laughs> and uh, and so we kind of locked ourselves away in a in a conference room. We're like, who cares? No one wants to join our team. We're just gonna build this thing. So I set an egg timer and we had to come up with a URL. I gave myself 30 minutes out of the 54 hours. So I just went on GoDaddy and I just started typing in ideas because I was a I was a chem minor-ish and uh, just, you know, was obsessed with kind of the elements in the periodic table. Like I just thought there would be a name in there. Yeah. And so I put in carbon and all the isotopes and all of them were bought. 
And so then I thought, well, you know, eight's a lucky number, carbon 18. Now that's bought carbon 28. Mm, it doesn't really have a, it doesn't look good. Mm. Carbon 38. And that was available. And it was like, okay, we hit the 20 minute mark. It's $1.99 on sale on GoDaddy.com. That's going to be our name. And <laughs> so we bought the URL. And then I realized that we needed to know how to like actually build a minimum viable product. But right. Not one of us was an engineer. So instead I built, I built, I didn't even have like InDesign. I built PowerPoint slides that I then formatted as PDFs and then uploaded them into this wireframe animator called Just in Mind and then screen captured the animation. Mm -hmm. So it looked like, you know, we had built a search engine essentially that allowed you to search for fitness studios based on like, Things such as like parking and like if they had a shower or what method. Right. We had, I had hired a TaskRabbit, you know, spending like 200 bucks for them to just crawl the internet of all like fitness studios in the LA area. So we at least had the database, but I absolutely did not build a search engine. Yeah. And so we screen captured it. And then when it's time to present at the final judging, I just hit play and move my mouse around as though we were. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh my God, there's a working product. <laughs> Just a bunch of screenshots. And we won. No, my God. <laughs> That's great. And, and, and so, yeah. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then, you know, it just kind of is like a bug. Like you you win something and you're like surrounded by all these like geeks just like you. And suddenly you're like, well, I, you know, I won whatever. It's yeah. Women 2.0 startup like, weekend. I'm legit. Like, yeah, yeah. And then like, <laughs> I can do this. Okay. Like, oh, let's apply to like an accelerator program. <laughs> and so we applied to Techstars Boulder and we were like a finalist at Techstars Boulder. They fly, you know, we fly out there, we're interviewing. They're like, well, which one of you is the technical co-founder? And we're like, <laughs> Uh, um what's that me like i'm on codeacademy.com like i kind of know php they're like no go home and come back when you have a technical founder and so then at that point i thought this would be you know enough fodder for me to apply to business school so did you apply i did i didn't get it oh you didn't get in all right so you <laughs> so it's a clear sign that katie's not supposed to go to business school so so then we took the summer off and kind of like kicked around a couple ideas and then um and then I walked in, you know, we applied to a couple other celebrators and one of the interviews was with Start Engine. Mm -hmm. So I walked into Start Engine and Howard Marks was like, you teach my wife. What? <laughs> I guess I do. Yeah, she's a client. And he goes, I know how much money she spends. <laughs> and he goes, I don't like this idea that you have. Throw that out. But I'll invest in you because I know my wife's credit card bills. And I'm like, Okay, sure. So October 2012, we started at Start Engine. And, you know, now it's like pivoted into so many different things. I don't, it's no longer an accelerator, but it was such a great four month period where we had, you know, four months to focus, $20,000 to spend, and to just take a step back and really research the, the product that we were building. And so at this point, you know, we kind of had to consolidate our team, make some changes, and then we launched this like content platform or content site, I should say, online magazine in January where we would profile celebrities and their fitness or their gym bags, essentially, mm -hmm. like um like a Glossier instead of yeah. a medicine cabinet, it's your gym bag. And then we made through affiliate and through cross-doc model available for all the, the products available for sale. So we were selling everything from like skincare to juice cleanses to food delivery to leggings to the fitness class itself. And what we found, you know, over time is we were getting traffic. It was actually like pretty sizable traffic, but what we were actually selling were the leggings. Mm -hmm. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that I was still teaching fitness at the time because I still had to keep the lights on. Yeah. And so I'd wear our clothes to class every day 
and then come home and we'd make the sale. So it was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. This is interesting. So we had five brands at that time. It was like Lorna Jane. It hadn't entered the U.S. yet. Outdoor Voices. They were young, mm-hmm. scrappy company just like us. Tyler was like working at a Venice down the street. We had Electric Yoga, which is um, Michelle Bobot, the founder of Bisubisu and XOXO. So like L.A. royalty, like yeah. Garmento royalty. We had a brand called Tonic out of Canada. And then we had Mishi, Michelle Watson's brand, which we still sell today. Uh, and she, you know, was running this, this like pottage business out of practically out of her home in in Toronto at the time. Um, but it was really cool. It was all female-founded brands that we thought, okay, five. Like, that's not quite critical mass, but let's like, I think this is interesting. And then a couple of weeks later, Lululemon recalled 17% of their product offering because of quality control. They're the sh- wonder under gate, sheer gate. And then Jim Wilson a few <laughs> weeks later, like made some not so great comments about like, you know, women's size on national television. <laughs> and I remember being like, now is our time. The doors have opened. It is time. And at the time, I was actually a Lululemon ambassador. And I sent out an email with like a roundup of all of our black leggings saying, no lemons here. <laughs> yeah. And I was no longer a Lululemon ambassador after that email went out. But uh, but yeah, so we raised capital around this concept of a marketplace. And um, by the time we launched, we raised 300000 launched officially November 5th. So just passed 2013 with 22 brands. And um, one of which was privately available called BM Fit, which like has a whole other scrappy story behind. And right off the bat, we were doing, you know, like 50000 a month in sales, which, you know, kind of, like, yeah. kind of out of your dining room. It's kind of cool. Right. Um, and then, you know, fast forward five years later, we have worked with over 250 brands. We have a booming private label business, branded label business that's 35 to 40% of our sales. Our team is very close, inching close to 100. Really? Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I'm bursting at the seams bursting right now. Bursting at the seams. And um, yeah, and we've got assorted dogs wandering around out there. And, you know, we we took in capital earlier this year from Foot Locker as a, nice. they've been an unbelievable partner and backbone for our growth. And, you know, we're on this pretty significant trajectory. Um, we just moved. We just moved in December 8th to our new space in Culver City, which is just such an upgrade and really symbolic for, you know, the fact that we're real. Like we got a real office with like real photo studios and we're building out a sample room and atelier. We're, and, I, and I wanted to create a space that reflected that five-year, you know, five-year vision that I had, but also was was worthy of the team that we have here because you know, this is really is my baby. This is my legacy. And each person that walks in here is, is an auntie or an uncle or a doula or, you know, a a nanny, a caretaker, a foster parent of this baby of mine. And to think that this small little flicker of a vision that happened while I was laying on the floor of my studio apartment in Beverly Hills adjacent with an ice pack has caught fire across these hundred people that come in every day with the intention of making something great. And yeah. serving this customer who is fighting for her place in the world and, and you know, in, in shaping the world. We together are working on shaping those coasts. And it's pretty, it's pretty darn cool. Awesome. It's pretty incredible what you've been able to accomplish. Um, it's crazy. Let's, before I forget, though, let's go back to the crying in the shower <laughs> moment, which I'm sure there might be a few. Know. But, you know, let's talk about, just share a story of one of the moments, which I know there's many. Yeah. But there one are of those many. really, really tough, tough, tough moments where you're like, what's, 
next? Or how do I get through this? You know, I think I have never been allowed in my upbringing or my own, like, character to be hopeless. I'm just, I'm an off-the-charts optimist. And there's always a solution. There is always a solution. You know, it's it, there's like some Angelica Houston quote. It's not final until you're dead. And even then there are negotiations. <laughs> um, or God is willing to negotiate. I think, yeah, of course, the roller coaster is huge. The highs are so high. The lows are so low. But in the process of founding this company, I realized that truly anything is possible. This, is, this was my Hail Mary path. This was something, I had no career mobility. I was a broken fitness instructor who had left finance so far behind in the rearview mirror. I was too old to go back. You know, my options were to like marry a rich dude and pop out some babies and like hope for the best or to get on my own two feet and go build something. And, and I did that. And I remember thinking, okay, just get it, get it to a hundred million and you will have seen more success than ever imaginable. And now we're kind of there. And I'm like, where's a billion? (laughs) And, and it's less about what the comfort I want. It's more about why waste the resources, this gift that walks in the door every single day and comes and works hard on this project of my team the customer base who we have built that are so loyal and believe in what we're doing and those customers out there that don't even know we exist yet that will and mm-hmm. we will rock their world. Why just build this to fizzle? Like yeah. I want to build a brand with 50, 100, 500 years of value. The Chinese are way ahead of us. They're thinking in 500 to 1,000 year terms. Mm-hmm. We're just thinking about the two-year exit, especially in the LA kind of startup community. And what's been so cool about joining forces with Foot Locker, they've been around for 100 years. Mm-hmm. They employ tens of thousands of people. They provide livelihoods and careers and paths for people that didn't have them before. The bigger I can be, the bigger carbon can be, the more opportunity we create and the more ability we have to shape. And that is such a gift and an opportunity mm-hmm. that I'm not going to just walk away for the sake of my house in Malibu with my hot husband, though I hope that's a byproduct. <laughs> but it's like, what a cool, cool thing. Anything is freaking possible. You just yeah. got to like be smart, be scrappy and get your head in the game. Yeah. What was a moment that kind of threw you off balance where you had to get back off? Oh, God. Share There's so many. I mean, look, I think, I don't know if I can share anything specific because there's just so, so many, but Yeah, there'd be a moment where like, I think we all have these days where you just feel like can't see the truth. You can't see the real and you, you reel and reel and reel because you put every, it's, you know, you are an artist, you are channeling something, you are so open and so bare every single day and you're taking in the criticism and you're adjusting and you're moving forward and you're blocking the criticism, you're protecting your team. You know, it's this constant, like you're on a football field Mm -hmm. all day long. I mean, talk about like cortisol response. Jesus, God, I mean, I got, you know, I got this thing on goop the other day. It's supposed to like help my cortisol. I don't know. I don't know if it's working, but it better when it helped me. But, uh, you know, some days you just are wrung out, you know, and you're, you kind of have given it your all and you don't know what, which way is up. And, and there've been a few occasions where people that I've really trusted have given me opinions that are, you know, kind of doomsday scenarios and, you know, there's one where that came from a really, a really close, you know, a, a, an operator in the business who's seen a lot. Um, well, not an operator, like a support of our business that has seen a lot and um, was just kind of like, you know, this is it. And I remember going home, like having my good cry, sitting on the floor of the shower, eating my pint of ice cream, and then opening up my laptop and being like, okay, what is my 
this is my war room. What is my game plan? How are we going to win this battle? And, you know, it's those moments of pressure where you create such clarity. When things are good, I feel like things aren't as clear because it's just good. You're just like surfing yeah. and you're having fun. Things are good. When it's bad, it forces you to force decisions. And that's where the beauty of this, of I think any business is made because it, it's like survival of the fittest. It's quite Darwinian. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I just, I remember opening up my computer and being like, okay, for the next six months, I'm going to deliver 20% above plan every single month. And that's what we did. The next day I came in, told my team this is what we're going to do. And um, we're going to perform, we're going to outperform, created a whole communications plan. And by May, we had delivered that. And I could walk into the boardroom and be like, yo, look at this. <laughs> what now? Yeah. And, um, but, you know, it's less about kind of that, that proof point in that moment. It's more about, you know, we just, we just waded through the water and now it's like, okay, now it's time to get back to work. Yeah. And that is, you know, I love, I kind of oddly live for those moments yeah. because it makes things so clear. It mm -hmm. makes things so clear because you have to choose. You have to, you have to pick a path. You can give up, you can fight, you can cut fat, you can grow into fat. Life is full of pretty specific choices. I think where I have gone wrong in the past is I just don't make a decision. I've like been working on that hard this year, being really, really decisive. And I realize that the the points in the trajectory of carbon where I've been super decisive have been my most successful. And so I'm trying to bring that in every single day. Yeah. Which is like a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you make a decision, you, you get to the real, and then you adjust once you're there. Yeah. So you have like 100 plus employees right now? We have like, I think 80 full-time equivalents, 83 full-time equivalents, and then a whole host of contractors. So with hiring, what are some of the challenges you faced in learning how to hire the right people? And what do you look for? I think as, as we've evolved, it's been really interesting. So I feel like we've shed, we've shed our team a couple of times mm -hmm. because it's like adolescence where you like can't fit into your clothes anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like your growth spurt or even like, inf you know, infancy to three years old kind yeah. of thing to five years old. It's the same thing. Like you just, you know, not to say that people who, who started with us and got us to one level are not great people, amazing people that are just right for that time. Cause it just takes a different, it's a gray murky black area that people need to operate well in. And then you implement yeah. structure and those people sometimes don't transition. Sometimes they do. Then mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you know, you, you have these different phases in the early stage. You know, someone said there are three phases of a business. I think there are like 103 phases of yeah. business and most of them happen between zero and scale. And so with that, you kind of cycle through. So the last phase we just kind of went through, we're hiring tactical experts. And now we're at a point where we have critical mass where we can really focus on the culture and what we want to stand for as a team. And I feel the the responsibility of, you know, we've got a majority female team, mostly young, mostly millennials, that, you know, are the next generation of bosses, you know? So it's like, you know, I want to foster that. I want to grow that. And all you need is a is a smart, optimistic brain and can-do attitude and, you know, confidence and you can get anything done. And that, as a company, that's what I want to stand for. I want, you know, what we started with, it still pumps through our veins. It's like impatience for success. We have it every day. We're optimistic. We're imaginative. We're, we're this merry band. And it's becoming clearer and clearer in that focus in terms of who we are, what we stand for, just based on who's in the room. Not to say we're not diverse. We're very, I think we're a pretty diverse team, but we all kind of have those same character elements. And that's, we're going to continue to fine tune that as we go forward. And that's what's so important as we build that team. Do we align to that? Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, God, we're in a really good spot right now. 
I like everyone. I'm excited for our <laughs> holiday party. <laughs> I want an invite. Can yeah, I go? Well, you know, <laughs> we just included spouses. It's like a big step for like, us. Um, that's a no. Like, yeah, sorry, no. <laughs> Hard no. Hard no. Hard no. Well, you know, let, let me get to a billion and then it'll be a big event. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> it'll be my like debutante ball that I never had. <laughs> so fundraising. Oh, gosh. How much have you raised so far? Uh, I don't, we don't disclose that fully, okay. but it's public what we raised from Foot Locker. Yeah. So we raised 15 million from Foot Locker. In terms of total, we uh-huh. raised a bit more. But yeah, fundraising is just a fact of life. Yeah. We just, like, I haven't stopped since January 2013. I haven't stopped fundraising. How has that process changed for you? And like, what have you learned along the way? <laughs> well, I, initially it was passing around a tin cup. Like our first 11 million we raised was in like $25,000 checks. Oh uh, yeah. No, I kid you not. I kid you not. Our cap table's got a lot of people like so-and-so's dad's golfing buddy. And like, that. you know, we've got some like interesting humans that all have opinions and are simultaneously so helpful, mm-hmm. but also could be like chasing the yeah. bouncing ball. But what's been really cool is in our early days, we didn't have a single formal centralized investor it allowed our customer to have the loudest voice in our boardroom, in our day-to-day. There was no like dude from Silicon Valley in khaki pants walking in here being like, this is how you run your business. Yeah. Like it gave me the flexibility and the team, the flexibility to just like figure it out in the muck. And that I think is such a blessing. It was so exhausting raising that initial round of capital, but like such a blessing because I could keep my eye on the prize in a really clear way. But, uh, but yeah, so that, you know, that first one was just knocking on doors. I think I made a spreadsheet. I've talked to no less than 1,200 people in for our first round. Wow. 1,200 people. It's like insane how much time we spent on that. So most were no's, obviously, because they're always mostly no's. Most were no's. <laughs> so most what percentage or how many yeses did you get out of the 1,200? I think we have, we have 89 people on our cap table now. So it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, but it is a numbers game. It's so crazy. It is. It is because, you know, the thing is, is look, I get it. it. Like if I walked in the door, I don't, first of all, I do not think I'd be a good investor in all honesty. Like I just, I don't know. I wouldn't be, I, I don't think I'd know how to assess a company. It's a numbers game for investors too. Cause like what, 97% of startups fail. Yeah. So they're assuming on their books, like 60% fail if they're doing their math right, then the 40% are good. And it's the 10% that actually make back their fund. I mean, I don't know who knows what their math is on that. But yeah, you know, I walk in there as a fitness instructor. This is essentially my first job. I wouldn't really trust me either. (laughs) Um, You know, I think everyone who invests in the early days, they'll always say we invested in you. And I think my tenacity perhaps shown through. Um, I mean, it has to in those meetings. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I I was given a lot of opportunity to, in terms of like pitching to bigger groups that allowed me to bring in, you know, I raised like $700,000 in a cocktail hour at an event because I pitched to a room of 3,000 people like that, you know, that those types of opportunities helped. Either way, it's hard. It's just hard. When you're green, yeah. it's really, 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 really It's a really hard. rough road. It's it's a big learning curve, yeah, right? I think what's been super cool is I was able to find my clan pretty quickly. And Lauren Peters, who is the EVP and CFO of Foot Locker, now sits on our board. And she and I first talked on the phone in 2014. Wow. So this has been like a, a, a romance that has been going on for a while. <laughs> yeah. And... I kind of knew from that first combo that there was something really special here because she's a woman in, you know, running an $8 billion company mm-hmm. that's profitable. And that company is run on the numbers. 
and she has had an unbelievable career and essentially is like everything that I'm not like she's kind of like everything I want to be that I can't be because I just don't my mind doesn't work that way but then people that have met us have been like oh you guys are like the same person it's just you're the brunette version of Lauren Peters and I'm like yeah and I also am like totally right brain <laughs> and she's not <laughs> she's totally left brain but meeting her and having that click I just knew that was that was the type of person I wanted to have my back and I wanted to bring into this business that we were moving forward and what a gift that there's also a huge company of Foot Locker behind her yeah but I'm very clear as to who I want. I didn't have that luxury initially. Yeah. I kind of just had to take cash. Money is green. And yeah. it honestly is in the early days because it all comes out in the wash, especially right. if you make a return. It all comes out in the wash. And, you know, I'm now in this wonderful, luxurious position where we can kind of choose what's next and where mm -hmm. our path goes next. And I've kind of taken the hit of yeah. the corporate round and having a true operator who doesn't really want to run my business, but boy, do they know how to run a solid business yeah. who is in my ear and saying, how can we help? Mm -hmm. And I don't think you get that from a private equity firm because Foot Locker isn't going to win or lose because they made a return on a carbon 30 investment. But a private equity firm is like mm -hmm. that is their whole business. So they have an ulterior motive essentially to make this return within a five to seven year period. But yeah. it's been around for a hundred years. Their return on 15 million is not, it's like what they spend on like cleaning fluid. Yeah. Like for <laughs> stores. Like honestly, it's like it really is such a small little blip that, you know, it, it just doesn't make a difference. So instead it's they're investing in the story. They're investing in kind of how we can learn together and kind of the future and, you know, the future $20 billion business they're going to yeah. be and how we can be a stepstone to that. And that is just such a, a luxury. And, you know, as we go into our next round, it's going to be really interesting to see who we, you know, bring on as additional partners Yeah, as a team. Cause you know, as a board, we're all operating together in this decision. And, um, and it's been, you know, I just never thought I would be, I'd never, I never in my wildest dreams, honestly thought we would be where we are right now. Yeah. It's such a gift. Every day is a freaking gift. How have you been able to stay so strong and persistent this whole time? Because it's such like a, you know, it's a marathon, right? Yeah. But it's like we're supposed to treat it like a sprint and it's not. Well, it's just a constant sprint, it's, or, which yeah, is like the cortisol. Like I mean, marathon. Gwyneth Paltrow is helping me with my cortisol issues. No, I I think it's just my nature. I was a ballet dancer for three years old until 20-something, you know, like yeah. – it's so painful. It's so hard. It takes mm -hmm. such discipline. It takes such, you are rejected constantly and you are rejected with your soul bared. I think that that type of training is unusual. And um, the way that I operate is with singular focus. I can only do one thing well at a time. And this is what I'm doing well. And I'm yeah. going to knock it out of the park. And every time I peel back a few more layers, I see even more potential. I'm just going to, I'm going to run to that. Yeah. And what a cool, like what a cool gift, you know? Like I keep thinking, oh yeah, if we ever IPO, like I'm totally not going to be in the business. Watch me be like ringing the bell. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> still single, but like <laughs> ringing the bell. Like I am the CEO of an IPO, a public company. Um, <laughs> no, but I just, I'm just so freaking competitive. It's maybe because my dad was an Olympian, like it's in my blood, but yeah. I need to be the best. Always. We so, have to win. The only option is winning and it's worked so far. So. What metric do you have for success? I mean, is it the IPO? Is that? No, no, it's just, it's, it's building something with lasting value. Like when I think of the brands that 
filled my life to date. I think, of, I think Ralph Lauren's a really good example. Ralph Lauren is a brand with 50 years of value. Yeah. It came upon a couple of weird, some weird stuff because of the change in CEO, but ultimately, you know, Ralph at the helm, it's an amazing brand. When Ralph goes, whether by choice or by nature, what's going to happen? You know, it's a huge company. What's going to happen? So I see that as an opportunity for, for us to take that space. You know, Ralph to me meant so, it, it, growing up was like my staple wardrobe from those like little, you know, pop collar shirts I wear to school to, you know, the, the dress I would save up every two years. I feel like everyone I know has like Ralph Lauren towels, you know, like it's just a part, it's just a part of American folklore. Yeah. So what's next? What's yeah. next? Not just for this like, you know, all American spirit for this like fighting female spirit. Yeah. Um, what's that flavor? To be able to take that space, that is success to me. And I don't know if that means – I don't know what kind of exit that means. I don't know if that means an IPO. I don't know if that means I'm even still here because maybe I'm not the right person to take us there. But that is the legacy is yeah. what's most important. And I think we are in a really interesting period in retail and in e-com as well where we've got these amazing companies like Amazon that mm-hmm. don't have the soul – that we as consumers feed on. Convenience is one thing, but our day-to-day, we need that soul. And it's opening the door for all these cool brands from, you know, Parachute for, to yeah. Carbon to, I don't know, Health Aid to, you know, yeah. Sugarfina to Jenny's Ice Cream. Like, there's such an opportunity for brands that truly capture the spirit. You know, check back in 50 years. I can't wait to see. Those are all female-founded brands, by the way, I listed. Let's see oh. what these badass ladies will be doing. We'll all be running the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Damn straight. <laughs> What's something, looking back, that you wish you would have known before you started your business? Oh, God. If I knew what I knew now, I never would have started my business. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't know. Honestly, I'm so glad. I'm like a frog in a pot. The water is boiling. My life is ending. And I'm like, you know what? Whatever. It's like a bubble bath. Like, it's great. Water's lovely. Um, I just think the, the ignorance is such a gift when you're trying to start something new. Yeah. Because if you're stuck in your old ways, you're just creating a theme and variation. Yeah. Whereas I came in here being like, I don't know what an open to buy is. Like, I don't know what it means to be a retailer. Like, let's just figure it out. And now our yeah. flavor is so different. It's like an alien nation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so different from like what a Neiman's is or a Nordstrom's is or, you know, and that allows us to be resilient. We're like a virus that like got, yeah. got you know, a- mutated in another continent and then came back and now we're going to take over. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the bird flu. No, I yeah. <laughs> So stairway to CEO, mm-hmm. it, it changes, right? Your pers- there's a huge – I could have never predicted the personal development journey that's included in growing as a CEO and having employees and all that. I mean, it's like you grow so much personally. So on that, what are some like limiting beliefs maybe or things that you had to shed to get to where you are today? I did shed that I couldn't do it. That's the biggest thing. I remember very specifically a conversation where I was like, I was on the phone with my sister and I'm like, okay, I got to hire this person. I got and then I'm going to hire this person to do this. And then we've got to figure out how to do that. And Em was like, hey, stop. No, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what a PL is. Like, I can't do that. And she goes, well, then figure it out. Yeah. And I remember like kind of being annoyed and like getting off the phone and going for like a little angry power walk and being like, what does she know? Like, yeah. and then I'm like, oh, wait, actually she knows a lot. She's really smart. <laughs> um, 
And she sent me, God bless her, she sent me like, you know, startup tax law or something. Like she, I yeah. have like the legalese of startup. Like I have all these books from her time at Harvard Business School that she she shipped down to me. And um, I still have here retail math that I bought on Amazon. And I just started reading in like that to go from thinking I was a fitness instructor who was just going to be a personality that like could bring in all these people to help to actually then becoming the operator and now on the other side, now I'm hiring all these kick-ass humans that like do it all. Mm-hmm. And so now I can actually go back to the role that I think I should, like I wanted to be in the beginning, but now I know everything. Like yeah. I know the guts of the business. And so I can actually be a leader that is worth respecting. When yeah. I bring in these people with 25 years of tenure yeah. in their respective fields, like I'm certainly not going to know nearly as much as they do, but I at least know it within the context of my business and mm-hmm. I can actually be a leader that gets yeah. out of the way, but also can lead at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, that big thing of just like, I mean it when I say I never would have, I never thought that the degree of success that we've reached today was possible. Yeah. And just that realization, it's so empowering to take a step back, breathe that in and be like, wow, okay, I can do anything. We yeah. can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. As a founder figuring it out, there actually is this sense of like, what can't I do? I yeah. have to figure everything, uh, everything out. out. <laughs> yeah. And sure, you, you come up against a, a brick wall and there's certainly people that'll do everything I do much better than I do. But like, you know, you don't have the luxury of plucking talent every two minutes to go figure yeah. something out. You've you got to just make decisions, move forward and adjust. Having those people too in your corner that say, what are you talking about? Yes, you can do that. You know, I had that experience actually too. And just briefly, like I, when I first started Wearaway and I was telling a friend of mine, like, oh yeah, I got to come up with like three-year projections. Like I probably have never touched a spreadsheet in my life, you know, and here I'm starting this business and I'm like, no, I'm really not a good financials person. Like, no, no, no. I need to hire someone to do this. And she's like, what are you talking about? You can do it. You can do it. Obviously, you can totally. I mean, she made me like feel stupid for like (laughs) saying that about myself. And I'm like, no, but you don't understand. I'm like trying to convince her, like, no, what are you saying? That's not my strength. That's da da da. She's like, "Um, you'll be just fine. You can do it. You're going to figure it out. And I'm like, okay. And so I ended up figuring it out. Yeah, I ended up figuring it out. Look at that. See? In spreadsheets all day now, you know? (laughs) All day long. All day long. So I know you've got to get going. So I just have three last questions. What books have uh, been most helpful for you? You know, honestly, the first book I read when starting this company was Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Oh, really? Honestly, I think the algorithm of Facebook has changed so much, but he talks about creating Facebook ads that drive to landing pages to test product market fit Mm. and to test viability. And, you know, I just was testing that on my own before starting this business just to understand like what online Facebook marketing looked like. And then, and then I could apply it to the business once we got going and then understand what CAC was and all those metrics that are important when you go out to an investor. Yeah. But that was like kind of eye opening. I don't think it's as relevant now, but you know, it was, it was kind of cool. It was about like creating your own destiny and generating 10,000 a month in revenue that like you could just live on yeah. um, without having to do anything. Now, first of all, we generate a hell of a lot more than 10,000 a month in revenue, but like I'm not just living on that. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work. So Tim, you're out there, like, please tell me how to make this easier. Um, Cause I'd really like to, I don't know, work out once in a while. That'd be great. Um, so that was one. I think the other one that I'm like, I, t- I can't stop talking about with the team is sapiens. It talks about just, you know, our species, homo sapiens, why we're different. It all kind of orbits around this idea of shared imagination. And it, you know, just in the first couple of chapters, reading about 
this idea of consciousness and shared consciousness and shared imagination and how all of our rules are made up. Our law, our our computers, how we build a business, it's all made up. It's all just fake rules yeah. that we then all catch fire to, adhere to, and move forward. And that's simultaneously freeing because you can kind of just be like, well, let's, you made that up. Like, I didn't make that yeah. up. You know, like, I don't know. I don't believe in this law or that law. Or, you know, it's very pertinent today in this, today's political climate. But furthermore, in a company, I get to make the rules. The yeah. rules are made up anyway. Yeah. So we just make up our own rules. And now it's like how we can get everyone to catch fire to this shared imagination and how powerful that is. And also what a gift that is, that this doesn't exist in any other species but ours. Mm-hmm. And um, I keep coming back to and rereading just because of like how simple and powerful it is and to remind us what, you know, human nature really is. Yeah. Um, so it's been pretty cool. Awesome. So what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Get a job. No, (laughs) don't do what I did. (laughs) Oh, I know. I was going, I was like speaking to um, a class of like entrepreneur students the other day and I called my mom. I was on the phone with her and I was like, okay, I got to go, mom. Like I have to go talk to this class. Where did you speak? It was at USC. I spoke there too. Oh, really? Ivan's class? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So, so speaking at Ivan's class, I'm like, mom, I got to go. I got to go talk to this class. And, um, and she's like, what are you talking to them about? And I was like, oh, you know, being an entrepreneur. And she was like, you should just tell them all to get jobs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think, I think that the path that an aspiring entrepreneur is about to embark on is harder than you'll ever imagine. It's so hard. I know. But people said that to us when we started our businesses, but like, what does that even I mean? I actually you know? don't think they said that to me as, or maybe I just didn't hear it, but like, it's so hard and it's so, it takes every ounce of your spirit. And so you have to t- put that into perspective and every day assess how you can make it a true part of your spirit and make it fun. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is so hard and yeah. it's something that like I ask my teams I'm like make it fun I want to come into work every day and yeah. be thrilled to be here and I want everybody else to be thrilled to be here Yeah. and so I do think that like making sure what you're doing is fun it it has to be fun 80% of the time 20% of the time you got to do shit work yeah. absolutely but 80% of the time it has to be fun and if it's not pivot Yeah. go find something else mm-hmm. because this is your life and you only get one and it's a lot of time and it has to be worth it. And, you know, I understand like sometimes we say, oh, I want to start this because I want to build a future for my family or I want to build financial independence for myself. All those things are wonderful, but they're soul crushing and your life will end early if it is not fun. And it can do the opposite of all those things. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. li- likelihood of a startup, yeah. it's going to go under. Yep. It is. Yep. 80% chance, right? Yes. <laughs> No matter what stage you are in, the life cycle of a company, all people die, all companies usually die too. So have fun. Awesome. And last question, what's next for Carbon 38? I know you guys. Billion dollars. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Why not? Billion dollar business. That's the next. I laugh. Check back in a few years. We're going to have another interview when you're at a billion. Yeah. Damn straight. (laughs) I'll call you. Sounds soon. I'll have, I'll burn through a couple bottles of wine by then. Just a few. As long as I can have some. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. If you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at stairwaytoceo at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends and leave us a review. Until next time, keep on climbing. Thank you.